Hello and welcome to season eight of the Travel Diaries podcast. I'm your host, Holly Rubenstein, and here each week I'll be speaking to a very special guest about the seven chapters in their life's travel diaries. From their earliest childhood travel memory and the first place they fell in love with, to their hidden gem and what's at the top of their travel bucket list. We'll be uncovering their adventures around the world and the travel experiences and destinations that have shaped their lives. So summer is drawing to a close here in England and it sounds like loads of you have been really getting back into travel again over the last few months and having some amazing adventures. Last season's finale with Miriam Margulies was released while I was actually out in Lake Como in Italy. That was my only abroad trip this summer but it was a really special one and I didn't get a chance to tell you about the last place that I stayed in a really exciting new opening brand new opening called Pasalacqua now if you're into new hotel openings you might have read about Pasalacqua already because it is probably the most hyped hotel opening in Europe this year it opened in June and I'm not a big fan of hype because then when you visit it's really hard for the properties to live up to your expectations as it but this place surpassed the hype and I'd say it like rocketed into my top three hotels that I've ever reviewed it really was unforgettable Uh, very hard to do it justice in words but to give you a little overview it is a converted palazzo on the shores of Lake Como from the team behind Grand Hotel Tremezzo which is one of the really famous Grand Dame hotels on the lake and It's this amazing oasis hidden within seven acres of terrace gardens that stretch down to the water's edge. The main reason I thought it was so fantastic was the attention to detail, which needs to be seen to be believed when it came to the interiors, which blended this palazzo's history with every modern amenity in the most kind of effortless and subtle way and the setting was just so relaxing on a really beautiful part of the lake so definitely a special occasion destination as I think I said at the end of last season as are most hotels in Lake Como but I am told that there's already been a few proposals there so if I was planning to propose someone I couldn't think of somewhere more romantic it really is a very special place like I said that was my uh, big abroad trip this summer a very special one but I'm actually eight months pregnant now so unfortunately I haven't been feeling especially mobile these last few months and I was really tempted to travel a bit more hearing from loads of you and the places that you've been going but I decided to make the most of the UK instead. I was really lucky to visit a few great hotel new openings here in the south of England actually which I'm really excited to tell you about. I'll tell you about one today one next week. First is the retreat at Elcott Park in Berkshire. Now, it's not a retreat in like the silent sense. It's a retreat in that it's a perfect spot for a long weekend, I guess. And really great, especially if you're based in London. It's a newly reimagined, very stylish 18th century country house in 16 acres of Berkshire countryside. The first thing I should say is that from my experience this is a really good value destination double start at 170 pounds a night this includes so many brilliant facilities as well as as well as breakfast so it has two great restaurants a brasserie and a pan-asian restaurant and it has a heated outdoor pool with lovely lounges and then an indoor pool with hydrotherapy jets a spa gym croquet lawns even a hairdresser there's loads to keep you busy and it's really dog friendly and really family friendly too so add that one to your lists i went with my mum we had a great time spent most of it eating and swimming and i had a lovely spa treatment there so a big thank you to the retreat at alcott park for having us so i'll tell you about my other find which was in the cotswolds next week Right, on to today's guests, my first duo on the podcast. They've been on my dream guest wish list since the podcast began, actually. Cy King and Dave Myers, aka The Hairy Bikers, have been entertaining Britain with their TV shows and books for over 20 years. Their unique blend of foodie expertise, humour and motorbike enthusiasm has earned them national treasure status and part of their success has been their foodie travel shows where they've biked these incredible routes across the world while experiencing and sharing local cuisines with us like their Asian adventure, Mediterranean adventure and US Route 66 series to name just a few. 
I've always really enjoyed dipping in and out of their shows, but it was actually during the COVID lockdowns that I really took a deep dive into their back catalogue. I just find that there's something so comforting and wholesome about watching them and their lovely friendship. So yeah, it was so exciting to get to speak to them. I spoke to them a little while back now. As you might know, Dave is currently undergoing cancer treatment. He spoke to me the night before his next round of chemo, which he travelled down to London for. So to say that I was really touched that they took the time to talk to the travel diaries when you know so much else is going on was you know an understatement. And one thing is for sure, the two of them, they really adore travel. They are so well traveled. I mean, they're up there with the most traveled guests that we've had so far. And this episode takes us from Namibia to India, Argentina to Estonia and so many places in between. I really can't wait for you to hear it. So fasten your seatbelts. Let's get started. Sai, Dave, the Hairy Bikers, welcome to the Travel Diaries podcast. It is amazing to see you both. Oh, it's lovely to be here. Thank yeah, you thank you for having us, Holly. Thank you. Oh, it's my my pleasure. Dave, great to see you. Um, looking a bit different, a bit less hairy today. How are you doing? Please let me know. Well, I've seen more hair on an embryo, I'll tell you. Um, <laughs> I'm doing all right, actually. The, the cancer markers, which is what they do when they before you have chemo, they're coming down, which means that I'm getting better. Uh, at the moment sometimes I'm struggling with the chemo but hey what's new everybody who's been through it will know that and appreciate it Um, but you know I'm doing all right and enjoy things like this it's nice meeting with Kingy and having a blether again and and yourself so no I'm doing all right thank you very much Holly thank you I'm really pleased to hear that you're on a good trajectory and and you guys have been reuniting recently for your own podcast fun yeah, we have with uh, the Agony Uncles, indeed. It's hilarious, um, Holly. I don't know whether you've managed to listen into it. I have. I have. It's just, it's it's slightly risky on occasion because um, <laughs> I think our fan base is obsessed with food and sex, fundamentally. <laughs> it's, uh, it's hilarious. It, it's just, uh, it, it's just, it's really refreshing, actually, because it's, 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 Dave and I had a, uh, a show on Planet Rock that we enjoyed immensely, and we were slightly irreverent there. Um, always appropriate, but slightly irreverent. And um, and the podcast kind of seems to have taken that mantle on somewhat. So it's yeah. uh, as the agony uncles. So it's kind of quite nice. Yeah, because we're probably the worst people to give advice, although <laughs> we have an, we have an opinion. <laughs> um, I mean, obviously, we get, we get some people who have a serious problem. Yeah. Then we do take it seriously. We're oh. not. We're not about to humiliate or, you know, no. or, or ridicule people. Um, but then we have this thing at the end, which hopefully it's the tease that p- makes people stay to the end of the podcast called Confidential Corner. And that's when the Fruit Loop ones come on. Oh. And we've <laughs> had some belters. What's been, the, what's been one that stands out to you has made you chuckle the most? Oh, I, I think you can probably remember the names, King Yaika, about the couple that had. Well, this man was really troubled because his partner had pet names for their private parts in bed. And when she used them, it was putting him off. So what, what was what was his, his old chap called? His old chap, um, his old chap was Mr. S- Mr. S- it's, oh, Snuggle, was it? Mr. Snuggle. No, no, Mr. Squiggly. And would Mr. Oh, Squiggly like some uh, lumps, like some um, some pleasure time with Mr. M- Miss Honey uh, Honey Sucker? <laughs> yes, it was all sort of properly weird. That wasn't the names; they were far better than that. But um, <laughs> it was, say Squiggly is quite revealing in terms of uh, well, what it's we're yeah, right there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sorry about that, Holly. I think you need to wash your brain. Sorry. <laughs> I've tuned in for a few episodes and it is a real laugh and so nice to hear your banter just in an audio form so I I really enjoyed it and I'm I'm so happy that we're going to be going on a journey today through the seven chapters of your life's travel diaries my Mm. first duo on the podcast so we'll start off with chapter one with your earliest childhood travel memory separately but then because there's so much to cover and you guys have covered so much ground collectively as the hairy bikers, then yeah. we'll kind of get your answers as a, as a unit, I would say. But let's, let's go back to the very beginning. Maybe start with you, Sai. What is the earliest childhood travel memory that comes to mind when you cast your mind back? Well, relatively local um, was, was for me um, 
our uh, the family's spiritual home, much as it is for a lot of people, is Bambra Beach and Bambra Castle and that beach. Uh, so it was local travel because an hour and a half in a car, or two hours actually, it used to take then, in a car from our, from where we lived up to Bambra was a big trip. So and I think I was only about four, and um, and it was uh, it was just that that travel up to this expanse of sea and sand and castles and dunes and and my dad would always have this um, a, a gas burner in the back of the boot where he'd make and it didn't matter when Holly or what the weather was doing you just we we, ha- <laughs> we used to have um, cowboy breakfasts in the boot and I mean there were some occasions mm-hmm. it was actually snowing. And uh, we were on Bambra Beach, so that's my that's my very first, my very very first travel memory of going somewhere completely different to where we lived. And does that still have a special place in your heart now? Like when you go back to that area? Oh goodness gracious, great, yeah, yeah, very much so, very much so. It's it, it's mm. a very special place, very special place. I love it. There's too many people on on the beach now. Like there may be about thirty. <laughs> but <laughs> it's uh yeah it's no we, it, it's a very special place very special place and dave have you been there with si oh yeah we've been there we filmed there but we've been there you know where, where we met years ago then 30 years ago we used to go up to you know sea houses fishing chips and stop at bamber mm-hmm. beach on the way back way before the bikers just as mates and um, it's a wonderful beach Amazing, you know, and, and it's it's dominated by the most wonderful castle. Mm. You know, it, it's like it's the castle that a child would draw. And um, we were lucky enough in uh, Go North uh, last year to actually stay at the castle. The pair that of us. That looked amazing, didn't it? Well, the, the, I think what was funny is because the, the, it was just the two of us staying in there. So once the crew's gone home, you've got kind of got the leftover food or whatever's in the fridge. And um, true on true form. Kingy escaped from the castle. There literally was like an escape over the fence on the bikes and come back with two parcels of absolutely blisteringly fabulous fish and chips and a bottle of whiskey. And um, so we were the, the, the kings of the castle that night. Um, yeah, it was it was good. We still got that buzz, you know. Yeah, and that that show just shows you what's on your doorstep, doesn't it? You know, it helps us really appreciate the beauty that we've got around us. Oh, for yeah. sure. And after half a bottle of whiskey each, you're, you're anybody's king of anybody's castle. So <laughs> whoever's castle was close, we would have been in it. <laughs> so how about you, Dave? What's your earliest childhood travel memory that, that comes um, to mind? Well, my dad retired. He was quite old when he had me, so he retired when I was eight years old. And when you retire, you get your pension, but you get what they used to call a lumper, which is a, a body of money. So he took me off to the TT races in 1966 because um, he was a biker all his life. He'd always dreamed of going. And uh, my mum came too, although I, didn't think she, I thought she, she thought she was going to a nice hotel in the Isle of Man. She didn't realise that there was a few <laughs> motorbikes there. Um, but it was it was just paradise. You know, We stayed at a nice hotel. It was a Metropole in Douglas, which is no longer there, which was a four-star hotel. To a kid from a, you know, a red brick in Barring Furnace, it was a whole new world, like the food. I, I, there was a bear leaf on my braising steak, and I, I told my mum somebody's put privet on me steak. Um, <laughs> however, it was it was delicious, you know. And we went and watched the bikes, and it was a time when the the British bikes were still competing, but the Japanese bikes had suddenly started to race, and the Yamahas used to scream and make a, a noise that was on otherworldly. And I can remember that the excitement. Did that instill the love of biking as well? I mean, was that one of the main catalysts for um, you getting involved in it later no, on? I, in I, I, I kind of had that before, really. Yeah, it was you know, in you already. Yeah, it was, it was already there because my dad was one of those people. He'd never, ever had a car. He'd assumed he could never afford one. So he just had a motorbike and, you know, maybe, you know, he took my mum shopping on the back of the motorbike. She had two shopping bags <laughs> hanging over the edge. Uh. <laughs> um, but no, for bikes, it, it, was, it was astonishing to see these guys race. Um, and the whole atmosphere of the Isle of Man. And again, that's something that Si and I have done privately and relived it, you know. Um, we've both been back to the Isle of Man quite a lot, haven't we, Kingy? Yeah, yeah, we have. It, 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 look, it's a great place, great people, and, and, and you know, and the, and the food, because we over the years we've got to know mm. a few of the 
a few of the residents of the Isle of Man, and it's it no, it's a great it's a great place, and it's exciting when the TT's on. There is nothing quite like it. It's just I I've never been there. What, uh, I mean, what I does it look go, like? Holly. It's um I have to say it's rather like um I, I don't know whether you would agree with this, Dave, but my my assessment is that it's rather like an extension of the Lake District. Yeah, it is. Okay. It's thirty. It's yeah. you know, it's like I was born and brought up in Barrowing Furness. You know, I'm I'm on the west coast, and I used to sit on the beach and look over in the distance on a clear day. You could see the Isle of Man. Hmm. It's a bit like the lakes. It's it's very old fashioned. Uh, it's quite quaint. Um, it's small. It's got its own customs and quirks. Um, actually, quirks because quirks is one of the, the local names. Um, <laughs> But it, but it really is. It's got a lot of folklore and legend and Viking heritage. Um, and the same two weeks a year, the, the, it goes mad with the bikes. But that that's my earliest childhood memory, really. And um, you know, I had everything I could possibly want from a holiday: an ice cream and a beach. Yeah, exactly. Perfect, perfect British seaside holiday. Yeah. And and then moving on to the formation of the Harry Bikers. This is just, before we get on to chapter two, it's just such an amazing story. I actually had no idea that you guys had completely different careers for a significant period of your lives before you you became the Harry Bikers. So can you tell me a little bit about that? I mean, Dave, maybe starting with you because actually your previous career was really surprising to me. Can you tell me a bit about ha- what you were doing beforehand? Well, I was art school. Then I joined the BBC as a trainee and I was a training makeup artist. Mm. I joined in 1980 and I was a professional makeup artist and prosthetics, you know, doing special effects for 23 years. Uh, Yeah, I I always say we've been nominated for two RTS awards as the Hairy Bikers and I got nominated for two RTS awards as a makeup artist. I won none, but, you know, (laughs) uh, I I was, you know, I was doing all right. I used to film all over the world and, you know, I was just working quite hard really. And how did you how did you decide that that was your career path? Was it was it your artistic background that gave you that talent? To, no, you know? I was no, I was desperate. I was working as a car park attendant in Victoria, sitting in my booth, and I saw an <laughs> advert in the Guardian Creative and Media, and they were advertised for trainee makeup artists. You know, just in the, and so I applied along with three thousand others, and they took nine of us on. Somebody had the idea at the BBC that they could train fine artists to do makeup and hair, but they couldn't teach hairdressers to be creative, which, of course, was a lot of nonsense. So they took these nine fine artists, which I was one of them. I was the first male makeup artist at Television Centre in London. <laughs> um, I didn't know it. Um, I just, I'd just i seen Hollywood films and I'd seen the, the West Moors and all the Hollywood dynasties and the blokes' names come up. I thought, that'd be a hoot, you know, and then, you know, yeah, end up on Doctor Who making monsters back in the <laughs> day. So, yeah, no, it had its perks. And you met on a TV set. Yes, yeah, we did. We in 1992 on a Catherine Cookson drama called The Gambling Man, with um, uh, you know, there were big deals in those days, you know, and mm-hmm. and, a, and a huge amount of people watched them. So you were at certainly in television terms. I mean, there there were other um, amazing programs, but the but the Catherine Cookson dramas were incredibly popular i mean millions and millions and millions of people tuned into that period drama as soon as mm. it hit the as soon as it hit um uh you know terrestrial tv which in those days really was mostly all we had anyway so it was yeah they were enormously popular so we were we were at the um you know we were at the top end of 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 making period drama at that point and dave and i met in a pub over a curry drinking beer um, because our and you roles, were one of the directors on I, the... I was I was one of the assistant directors and and uh, as an AD as and particularly the second AD Dave and I our roles were we worked always very closely together so you would work very closely with the heads of department and uh and I remember Dave and I just thought and you were always kind of slightly tentative towards the makeup artist because their jobs are it, it's incredibly difficult that that you know you, they, they really do they're really skilled and uh and you always because you used to get some that are precious were pretty precious and, and slightly histrionic so <laughs> it just and dave kind of walked up and went right kiggy it's uh 45 minutes for a woman with a wig 
It's no, 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 no. It's an, an hour and fifteen for a woman with a wig. That's typical of an, an hour, AD. An hour without, an hour without a wig. <laughs> a, a, man, a man with facial hair is half an hour. A man without facial hair is fifteen minutes. There you go. Uh, yeah. And that's and that's and this is the this is the rule. So I'm trying to shave time off. He's going, yeah, no, that's it. Look, that is it. And and he and he was just. And I, I, there was never, ever on any of Dave's shows any at any point an artist that was late because if you plan for it, mm. uh, you can deliver it. Uh, and the, his timings were always realistic. So literally, we had the calls done in about forty-five minutes, and then drank beer and ate curry for the we rest went of the time. Back to the pub, yeah. And I went back to the pub, talked about motorcycles, talked about travel and life, the universe, and everything else. It was it was lovely. Yeah, and then you invited me around for Sunday lunch, and you did a yeah. leg of lamb that was truly fabulous. And um, I thought, oh, he can cook as well. And he sold me a motorbike, though, the same day. So I went well with a full belly, very, very happy. I'd met the family, and I bought a motorbike off him. Yeah. And the motorbike wasn't quite as successful as his leg of lamb. In fact, <laughs> I was kind of robbed blind, really. Gloss we'll over that, maybe. <laughs> and then so from there, you guys became great friends. But, yeah. you know, how did, how did you suddenly become TV stars? Well, we're still trying to work that out, Holly. <laughs> if we're <laughs> honest, <laughs> we, uh, yeah, I, I, it, it took us about three years to get the idea off the ground, really. And we, we, you know, between the two of us, we kind of knocked ideas backwards and forwards. But mm. uh, I mean, Dave's way better at explaining the, the first title that we had for the Hairy Bikers, which was because you forgot it. Yeah, yeah, it no, was. It was, it was called Motorcycles Food. That's and the it, search yeah. for uh, motorcycles, food, and the search for Nirvana, yeah. which is not the snappiest title. Yeah, but, uh, <laughs> yeah which not is quite, probably quite why exactly I forgot it. <laughs> <laughs> but it sums up exactly yeah. kind of what you uh, achieving from from now from then all the way through to now. Uh, yeah, it it does it, it it does pretty much yeah because the you know we didn't we never set out to make it make a, a a food program at all no the the most the the drive and the narrative was always about Dave and I just being conduits of 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 people's stories which again as you say Holly has continued through the bikers whatever mm. we do and we 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 likened it to a washing line. So the journey would be the washing line and your washing would be the bits that you'd hang on that line that you couldn't ride past during the times that Dave and I were out there recking and researching. And uh, and we came up with some mad things in the beginning because we did it all, didn't we, Dave? We, we did yeah. it all. Well, po- Portugal was the first programme. Nobody ever seemed to go to Portugal. But we found two facts that, that we said were either end of the washing line. One was there's a man called Igas Mones outside of Lisbon uh, in 1938 or somewhere like that, he won a Nobel Peace Prize for perfecting the art of the lobotomy. But he used to do it with a with an ice pick. And oh his home is this museum that's a shrine to primitive neurosurgery. And there's a chair there full of bullet holes where one of his patients came back and shot him. So I thought, we'll go there. And then we found these web-footed poodles down in the Algarve that the Romans introduced. And the fishermen used them like sheepdogs to shepherd fish into the nets. So with those two facts, we kind of, we were off. But that program went out and then we got offered basically two series and we went wherever we wanted in the world. We picked a thousand mile motorbike ride somewhere in the world we'd always wanted to go and we did it. How cool Uh, is that? The world was your oyster. It literally was. Yes. And he ate a few. (laughs) Yes, it did. (laughs) And I think that's it. Dave's just exactly touched on that. That that we 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 always wanted to go to places that were not ordinarily just because of the characters and personalities Dave Dave and I are that was kind of on the edge of people's radar that kind of knew about them but didn't really know that much about them and wouldn't kind of think about holiday. I mean, you know, do you know what I mean, Holly? I do because we talk about hidden gems later on, and I guess sure. these are kind of like hidden, mm. hidden gems or mm. yeah, places that are slightly off the beaten track. Mm. Yeah, and it's it it's just. It's just that, really. That was that, and that's never left us either, you know. So let's let's pause there and, and begin with chapter two, and that is the first place that you guys both fell in love with. Mm, so many. Wow. Do you think it could be N- Namibia? I you? think it has to be, mate. Yeah, I was just thinking that. Yeah, yeah. that was just mind blowing, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, because Nam- Namibia wouldn't wouldn't be if we were going to do a food program. We wouldn't go to Namibia, would no, we? Well, there was nobody there, you know, because it's the most deserted place on the planet. <laughs> 
but it is the most spectacular, spectacular country. I'd filmed in South Africa, and I, I, I loved it. You know, it was it was great out of Cape Town and up in the Great Karoo. And everybody said, if you like this, you should go to Namibia. And so when we were doing our list, King, you fancy Namibia? We're going to the Kalahari Desert. And in those days, I used to fly microlites, so we flew ourselves as well oh across the Kalahari Desert. We soon realised, though, after about three days, that we're going to die if we carry on. So we dropped the flying and stuck to the bikes. <laughs> but but we set out on this trip going north up the Skeleton Coast in, in uh, Namibia, cross country, almost to the Angolan border. It was the most ridiculously ambitious trip. But as two fellas, you know, to have been let off the leash, in Messam Crater, Kingy, that night, we were 100 miles from the nearest living person. The crater was 35 miles across. Mm. And we were camped in the middle of that. And just, lit, you know, with our heads outside the tent looking at the stars. And listening to big, you know, listening to the movement of the wildlife mm. and, and and what moves in Namibia at that time of the night. And then you'd have, like, you'd have um, long-eared uh, desert fox and you'd have you you could hear rhino going and munching on on myrrh bushes and and then it was literally as you were lying there you had the Brandberg Mountain that was the only really massive landmark you could mm. see and can I remember that Dave when it was sunset it would go bright oh, God, red yeah. and the yeah. and the and the sun would sink behind it and then it was like it was rather like um, somebody pulling a dark duvet and as it got darker it just lit up over your head, you know, this massive mm. duvet over your head. And as, as it got darker, it just lit up. And, uh, and that was the the really the first time that um, I, I, David always talked about it, but for me it was the first time I'd, I'd, I'd seen our galaxy, I'd seen the Milky Way. Mm. So unpolluted, just this massive it, sky. A massive sky because there was no light pollution at all. Yeah. And that image lying there with me best mate has will, oh, yeah. will just uh, will will stay has stayed with me ever since it it it's just it's 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 rather like a bit of a safe space in my head that image it's um, it was amazing but because the, we did everything all the research each episode we're about two months in namibia yeah really? uh, although we're only months. yeah we're only filming for like 10 days so you got to know these countries so well yeah, well, we went out there to do the records, and obviously, you don't head off in Namibia on your own. No. You need local guides and local knowledge. And so, I think for that recce trip, we were three weeks under canvas. Yeah, and um, and we kept saying to the guide, Paul, Paul Van der Plug, we saying, Paul, we need to see some people. You know, we've got to interact with the locals. And he's going, Yes, but there aren't any. <laughs> says, you know, it's the, the local tribes people. So we need to find someone. You know, it can't be just us two cooking sausages over the campfire you know but um, I mean it was full of superlatives I mean even like you know I suppose the nearest we'd come to insect life had been staying at cheap hotels and the, the odd beetle cockroach coming around this one was you know in the morning checking under your sleeping bag for scorpions and and actually when you're riding you use the dried up riverbeds as you know, to ride the motorbikes down. And one of the rules were that elephants have the right of way. <laughs> you know, if you see elephants, you wait till they've finished because you mustn't disturb them. So how mad was it to get your head around that? Yeah. Uh, 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 it's just, so as a first trip together, you know, we, we kept looking at each other's eyes going, I can't believe this, mate. Mm. Um, and we saw, you know, we saw giraffes oh, yeah. in their natural environment and kudu and zebra and springbok. And and the flora and fauna was was just and was just in the euphorbia bushes and the history yeah. behind the euphorbia bushes. So during the Boer War, the the Dutch would um, the, the 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 English soldiers would hide behind these bushes. Well, if you hid behind the bushes, you were dead, because what happened was that the the Dutch knew that if you just they were so poisonous that if you just yeah. fired at the bushes. You'd, machine gun the bushes. you'd be sprayed and you'd be either blind and, well, you'd be blind and dead in a matter mm. of hours. So, you know, there oh was all goodness. of those amazing pieces of social history that captured yeah. Dave and I's imagination and kind of shaped the narrative of those countries because the bikers is just as much about social history and its people mm. of that particular country than it is about just the travel. Because I, 
we've always looked upon it as those things being indivisible because the 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 people are defined by by the geography of the place in which they live and the cultures that that geography and topography create so it was always indivisible for us all of that and fascinating by the very nature of the men that we are mm. yeah so do you remember there was, there was a rhinoceros midden a yeah. rhinoceros's toilet yeah. and and you said you smell this and the rhinoceros poo as it were was so nice because they've been eating myrrh and tobacco oh. and it was just like a man's cologne. I was going to say, it sounds like a really Pen Halligan's nice fragrance. <laughs> <laughs> it, it did, it, it did. That's exactly what it was. Rhino poo, built for bikers. <laughs> yeah. It sounds like a real, um, like, really evocative in terms of how it assaulted your senses, the light, the, the sense, the space. It's really sounds like a really powerful no wonder it's really sat with you as a place that you you think about even now even though it was one of your first trips oh i i it nearly it nearly killed us, us didn't yeah, it? it did yeah I oh, mean, did it? We, oh yeah well we took off more than we could chew we'd never ridden off road before and no. um, of course we we got free bikes we, you know we got off of these bmw 1200s which are completely inappropriate for the landscape they were too big and they came and they had road tires on so we'd roll off into the desert and fell off. Oh, but the tyres, we need off-road tyres, don't we, Kingy? We'll be fine. Put the off-road tyres on, went off into the desert and fell off. And by this point, of course, the crew caught, we thought, we've just got to suck this up, really. Yeah. And, um, oh, gosh, it was hard. Um, you were you were safe? You, di- you didn't have anything too, tr- too dangerous in terms of your accidents? <laughs> Uh, a few sprains and we got away with it. I would say we got away, we got with, away it. with it. Yeah, yeah, Just we did. about. Yeah, we did. Yeah. Well, it sounds like a place that you, I'm sure, no doubt, learned a lot about yourselves, but we move on to chapter three now. That is the place where you learned the most about yourselves. Is there somewhere else that comes to mind as being a place that really led to a lot of growth? What do you reckon? Oh, that's mm. a tough one. Well, we spend a lot of that, don't we, in the bar? After yeah, there, there's, there's a lot of that. Uh, yeah. Um, well, you strike me as as friends that also um, aren't afraid to share about like your feelings, oh, and yeah, you're always growing, aren't no. you? I always see that on your shows. Oh, of course, no, 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 of course. I'm just thinking Patagonia, Kingy. I, I was just about to say that the yeah Patagonia or possibly India because that yeah. was uh, for 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 other reasons. India was, uh, I mean, India was just quite the most remarkable. David been a couple of times before, but again, I hadn't and. It was mm. just the most remarkable journey, both in terms of our of our friendship, but also in terms of that the hairy bikers had somehow become or, or looked like it was going to be the potential to be a rather big band and, and business, and and it, that that particular time you just had this really odd dichotomy in the sense that you had all this color and amazing an amazing alchemy in the cuisine which which Dave and I were just completely into mm. and just absolutely loved it and we were riding Royal Enfield bullets you know and a real you know two fat white lads on a Royal Enfield bullet and just being waved at by everybody that was coming past us you know and dodging chickens and sacred cows on the on the on the on the hard shoulder and all of that but then there was all this other business stuff going on that was kind of in in stark contrast to that and it was just the most it was just a very very odd time um an exciting time well well it was but we got off to a rough start because what we do is we do the recce's and do our research and we soon learned that where the food was concerned not to preempt anything in the uk you know you can't do it on the internet or through other people's cookbooks you need to go out taste the food then do you do your recipes and we were doing the recipes and Kingy collapsed. And it was like, oh, hell. So we phoned the Indian fixer. And what's wrong with him? Well, his, his lips are blue and don't look good like, you know. So, oh, no, right. So he said, right, get him in a tuk-tuk and follow me on my scooter. So I got him down the stairs and I thought, this is just going horribly wrong. And you, you, you were going, when we got down to the pavement outside this apartment in Chennai, it was really hot. And um, he just goes, where am I, Dave? I'm going, you're not well, you're going to hospital. He goes, will my mum be there when I get there? Oh, sugar, I thought. So anyway, it was like this mad dash to uh, Indian ER. So I'm in this tuk-tuk with Kingy. The fix is on a scooter. And at that time, there were no street maps or GPS to Chennai. So 
we, we, we had to rely on the, the fixer. And, and we got to this thing, and it was, well, it wasn't hilarious. There was this <laughs> crash trolley. He's straight on the crash trolley, wired up through reception. Now, in reception, there was this eight-foot poster of Mother Teresa. He sat up and went, there's Mother Teresa. Sat back down again. <laughs> <laughs> so we, we were there. And it turned out that it was a combination of, obviously, stress. Um, he bought himself an espresso machine, drinking espressos, and dehydration, but the dehydration had brought brought it on, so it was like a heart attack. So they kept him in hospital for two days. My and, uh, but they made me stay with him. I was like in a cot at the end of the bed, <laughs> so it was like, oh, God help me. You know, I, I had such plans as well. I thought, well, if he's in for a couple of days, I'll, I'll nick off and have a good time with the home, home economist that was with us, Sammy. And, uh, <laughs> oh, no, no, we don't do that like this in this country. He's had a nasty shock. He needs a friend. I go, I'll, I'll be his friend. God, <laughs> you guys um, have been through a lot together, haven't you? Yeah, so so I think and I know what Kingy means, like on that spiritual side, slightly spiritual, because obviously he was fine. Yeah. But but the time, it, you know, it was one of, and they were saying like there's, there's Indian workmen who work on scaffolding, they collapse just the same, they forget to hydrate. Mm. Um, and it, it's really quite radical. But, you know, it did make us think. And then the, the road trip was epic to the pair of us. Yeah, that was amazing. Um, amazing. So what was the you route know, that you guys took? Right across from Chennai over to Kerala. Yeah. Through the Cardamom Hills, Madurai. Yeah, we went all the way um, down the eastern seaboard to Madurai mm. and then cut up through the Cardamom, um, the Ghats, and then across the top into Cochin. It was, it mm. was. You covered a lot of ground. Oh, it was remarkable. <sighs> The holy golden mm-hmm. city of Madurai blew up, blew our minds. Oh, didn't it? it was just. Oh, so yeah. tell me about it. We're going to a Hindu temple. Is the most joyous experience. Remember, we were there. It was Madurai, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, it was Madurai. Yeah, uh, we, we, yeah. we saw Shiva's Lingam, wasn't it? Yeah. He's, this very holy site. But you come out, you know, covered in marigolds and dots, and the road to Shiva on your forehead. And but but Hindu temples are just joyous. You know, the kids running and ding the bell and. You know, you're greeted by the, the you're really welcomed. Um, I don't know, the, the whole trip was, was spectacular because Kerala was like the calm afterwards. It was beautiful when we got there, mm. you know, the land of sea and coconuts. It was a different, different kind of, yeah, different magic to the rest of India. Yeah. Different pace. Different pace. And, mm. and, and in the temple in Madurai, the, there's just, a, it's, it's, I don't know whether it's solid gold or made out of gold leaf or whatever it is, but it's it's surrounded by a, a moat of the most beautiful holy water, mm. and um, and it it's uh, it's just the most. And there was a coolness and silence. So you had in the cloisters of this amazing temple that you were as you walked in, you were greeted by the by a, 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 an elephant. That so you had to give the elephant some money, or give you or a peanut or something. You had to offer something to the element, which was a derivative of the Hindu god Ganesh, who was there for a party and a bit of a crack on, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, and then we walked through these these just just massive sentinels of time and that were set in stone. And then, and then, and, and as Dave says, you'd have all of this color and circumstance and. And, and ceremony towards life. And then you'd enter the, into the center of all of this, and it was quiet, it was calm, the air smelled of jasmine, and it was just oh. mind-blowing. And, you know, we're, from, we're two working-class lads from Barrow and Furnace and the North Durham Coalfield going, looking at each <laughs> other going, this is mental. When would we ever have seen this? You know, you float out of that temple, yeah. kick the motorbikes up and go on your way feeling fabulous. Yeah. Stop at a roadside vendor, yeah. buy some vodies and some samosas wrapped in newspaper. You know, uh, never got sick. And you know, just just yeah. the, the world's a lovely place. Yeah, no. that was a remark. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Today's episode is supported by Airbnb. It has been a long old winter here in the UK and in between podcast seasons, I'm going to take a little bit of downtime to seek out some warmth. I'm jetting off to the Greek island of Mykonos, visiting some places that have been on my bucket list. And while I'm hopefully soaking up some Mediterranean sun, my home will be hosting guests from all over the world thanks to Airbnb. It's the perfect way to make your travels even more rewarding. Instead of letting your home sit empty while you're off exploring new destinations, why not turn it into a cozy retreat for fellow travellers just like I do. Whether you choose to rent out your entire space or just a spare room, it's up to you. I list my spare bedroom and it's been a fantastic experience, both financially rewarding and a great way to connect with new people. So if you're planning your own summer getaway or any trip for that matter, consider putting your home on Airbnb. It's a fantastic way to earn extra income that can go towards your travel expenses, souvenirs, or even that special treat you've been eyeing. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.co.uk forward slash host. Thank you to Airbnb for supporting the Travel Diaries. Was that, what, what country have you guys enjoyed the cuisine the most in? I mean, that I imagine you're asked that a lot, but um, I mean, you've experienced so many flavors and, uh, and, and cuisines. Is there one that, that really comes to mind thinking about those samosas just getting me hungry? Oh, oh man. Um, I've got to admit, near a home, when, when we did the Mediterranean adventure, the Mediterranean food, yeah. Southern Italy in, in particular, uh, the Cucina Povera, to, to me, was, was spectacular. You know, Kingi's got very close links with Italy, much more than I have. Um, but I really kind of, the, the Italian food was so pedantic and perfect. You know, I'm talking about the poor end of the food. It was so good. Mm. And that's something I still try to emulate in the kitchen today. It wasn't fancy, but the culture was amazing. The culture was as deep as the Hindu culture that we experienced in India, the food culture, certainly. Mm. What, what, what is the Kachina Povera? What would that be? It's the poor people's food. Kachina Povera, uh, it, you can have like, the, there's, there's the front of a looking recipe yesterday. It's pasta and chickpeas, but it's the way you make it. And we're with this, this chef, Giuseppe, and uh, there was half a clove of garlic in it. It's very minimal. It's almost like culinary homeopathy. Hmm. But but when you get it right, for some reason, we just couldn't stop eating it. Uh, like the the, the, the that, that dish with the occhietti and chimidarapa, mm. you know, the turnip the tops. The turnip tops, yeah. It, it, it's the very pedantic. You would never have cheese on that. But mm. it was just so right. And, and it just went on and on and on like that through the whole of southern Italy. There's a particular chilli that has grown... Um, that that comes to maturity in the autumn, and uh, forgive me, but I can't mm. remember the name of it. But with the um, de rapa and the uh, and the pasta, you have just like a little drizzle of that chili oil, and that's it. Mm. That simplicity, the way the food, the yeah. ingredients really sing. And, but yeah. but the focus of that particular chili at that particular time of year is particular to that dish and no other. Mm. What a cuisine! Mm. And is, so was that? If is that like the kind of Puglia region of Italy, or kind of what, it's where the would south you have? mostly? Yeah, yeah. Pul- Puglia, Calabria. That was where we. That was where we filmed. It's amazing. Well, thinking of our favourite things, chapter four, the most tricky chapter of them all. Your all-time favourite destination. You guys have been all over the world as a duo, and I'm, I know that it probably changes from day to day when you're reflecting on your travels as it does us all, but what comes to mind today, your all-time favourite place? The silence is... Oh, man. Um, There's a lot of destinations to run through in your head. Yeah, there, there are. <laughs> you know, and it's Argentina always comes up yeah. as being one of the... 
we, the favourite. We had such a good time from Buenos Aires. was the most vibrant, fabulous city. You know, we learnt tango in Buenos Aires, which we did in the programme. Yeah. You know, not very, well, not very successful. Precursor really. to Strictly Days. Yeah, yeah, the writing was on the wall, obviously. <laughs> um, but... Um, but then on the bikes, we rode down to Patagonia from Buenos Aires. And Patagonia is the most astonishing place. Yeah. You know, it's the, the culture, that the Welsh culture that's there. You, you know, you go into the, these towns and, you know, you've got Juan Jose Evans, the butcher. <laughs> you know, and they speak Welsh and Spanish. They have Spanish, Welsh, male voice choirs. But there again, again, I think one of the best days ever was on the Peninsula Valdez King. Oh, yeah. Do you remember the, the, the superlatives that we had? Yeah. I mean, we were looking at we were looking at um, southern right whales that that came in to to the to the peninsula and to the sheltered waters there. Uh, king seals that were just were huge elephant huge, seals and elephant seals, yeah. kings yeah, and yeah, elephants, yeah, elephants, massive the elephant seals. Yeah, they're about ten meters long, and you lie on the beach with the elephant seals, having just been with with the whales, and then we finished off that day with half a million penguins on a beach. Uh. I mean, um, that that was a day out. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and and the landscape I imagine that is surrounding you while you're witnessing mm. all of this as well is yeah, just, just otherworldly. But but I think as well it was it, that that again was a trip of two halves. The, the, it was the, as Dave says, the most amazing city in Buenos Aires. This is just mind blown. It's just mind blown. It was fabulous, colourful, a real cosmopolitan city. And then, conversely, you had um, huge, huge swathes of empty landscape, but that's filled with life. And I mean, it was just mad. And you're riding, and the yeah, the seafood was amazing, yeah. wasn't it? Because you got that South Atlantic coast, yeah. so it wasn't the beef was beef was outstanding, yeah. but the seafood, you know, the king crab. I mean, in the program, one of the kisses of death is always if you're filming is to go fishing on the telly. Yeah. It never happens, does it? Yeah. It did with us. We went out fishing for sea bass. And, you know, you fish for mackerel with like three feathers and hooks. We were like this for sea bass. We were bringing two or three sea bass a time. We stopped when we caught 30 sea bass and four baby sharks. And we actually went went in and we kept enough sea bass for the program. We sold the rest of the sea bass, which paid for the hire of the boat. <laughs> so actually it helped our license payers out a bit. <laughs> but it was that. But the whole thing was like the natural landscape. It was just insanely kind of productive and impressive. Yeah, uh, somewhere I've always wanted to go. It's oh, you must! Bucket list. Mm, yeah. You must! You must! Do you like? Uh, are you particular fans of wild wildlife travel? I mean, is that something that always you guys look for when you're when you're out and about? It. I, I just think by the nature, it's a bit of a default setting that we don't think too hard about holly actually mm. because i think the places that dave and i tend to go uh, it's inevitable <laughs> that you're going to see some and it's yeah. and it's a very different experience when you're riding on a motorcycle than you're in yeah because you're out in the elements i guess so you're, you're just, in it yeah, in a different way you're in it so, yeah you know you're saying hello and you're to seeing it going from place to place as well yeah. you're not just like taking planes you're you're moving no. through the landscape part Indeed. of it but quite a lot of the time, actually, we've cooked the wildlife. So it's yeah. kind of, yeah. it's hard not that we cook penguins or elephant seals. But, um, well, yeah, you, you need a bloody big barbecue. Yeah, or, anything but, you know, uh, yeah. or anything protected, of course. In terms of my listeners who are avid bikers themselves, you guys have taken so many iconic routes across the world. If there was, if there was one that you would say that you really should do in your lifetime is there a particularly iconic route that you would suggest to add to someone's biking bucket list i think that i think i think riding the Grossnockla pass is is that between austria and italy is absolutely you've got to do it once in your life as a motorcyclist because it's fabulous it's absolutely fabulous mm. But there are so many, aren't there? I mean, you know, that's just one. Yeah, I'm thinking through, through the through the Atlas Mountains. Yeah, that's the you, other you one. You can get get off the ferry in Tangier, and two days later, you've got your front wheel in the Sahara Desert. Yeah, and, and, that's and you've been up through the snow, and you're in, then you end up in the Sahara having a cold beer. Um, so that but, contrast but route, in in kind of yeah. one journey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you work your way up, and I was remember out, out of Mar- out of Tangier's Marrakesh, and you can see smell all the tagines. 
you know, like cooking on people's walls. And then, so you eat. Then you're in the snow, so you're cold. But then when you start to drop down to Wazazet, towards the Sahara, the whole world just opens up before you. You know, it's like coming down from an aeroplane. Um, and oh, Mexico's, Mexico. Mexico as well. Yeah, yeah that was just the biking the, there was stunning. And also, though, also um, the, the uh, up through the Ghats, through the hill stations in Kumali and Tikadi and all that sort oh, of stuff. Yeah. That was amazing. We stopped cooking because there was a load of elephants came down to the watering hole. Yes. And we were just like, okay, we've got to stop this. Oh, we've got to watch the we've elephants. We've got to watch the elephants, you know. Yeah. I mean, it was just, you know, amazing. Amazing. Oh, it sounds incredible. I'm so envious of these wonderful experiences that you've had together. What what a special career you guys have had. And I'm sure you're just going to continue to to travel to so many amazing places but I mean it must be just so great to to meet up and 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 have a few beers and reflect on so many of these different places that you've been in the different memories memories last a lifetime and then some oh, I don't know yeah it's good it's, it's quite fun watching the old programs yeah but you, you always look oh wasn't that fast you know <laughs> all, yeah, that, and all that nonsense yeah yeah, and all that nonsense you forget <laughs> but we're watching the uh reruns of the Asian adventure that's been on recently and and that that was again that was joyous you know how many blokes get to ride a motorcycle from tokyo down to kyoto that that, you know and stopping at the service stations then and and just eating all this insane japanese road food fantastic and then look at the mist come down literally roll down this the side of 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 mount fuji i mean i mean that'll do that'll do Absolutely. Well, let's move on to chapter five, and that is your hidden gem. You guys have covered so much ground. What is a place that you discovered that you thought, wow, this is somewhere that we've discovered that maybe everyone doesn't know so much about, but is really remarkable? Hmm. Oh, I don't know. Probably different. We probably have different ideas, really. The the Baltic was something that I, I really enjoyed. Mm. Going through Latvia, Lithuania and Estonia. I think yeah. I would agree. You pick the bikes up in Amsterdam and then you're in Poland, Poland, Latvia, Lithuania, Estonia, and then, you know, on to Finland. Amazing, amazing kind of, uh, a really accessible road trip. Mm-hmm. Uh, very cheap. Yeah. Um, Probably cheap accommodation Riga. along the way. Yeah. Yeah, Riga, yeah. that food market in Riga, Amazing. one of the biggest in the world. It's it's Zeppelin sheds have been turned into a food market. Hmm. And um, you know, the smoked food, the fish. Um Yeah, what was the cuisine caveat. like in in Latvia? Well, it, it was quite sophisticated in the sense that, you know, it is now, a, you know, when Dave and I went there, we, we were kind of like, well, Riga, what, really? Nobody we it wasn't kind of on our radar and 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 but since the program, Riga has become a real destination. So, yeah, the, so is Tallinn, hasn't it? In yeah, Australia. and Tallinn, yeah, that, yeah, and Tallinn. Um, we, 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 it, it was, it was remarkable. There were there were levels of cuisine as you would expect in every in every other modern metropolitan um, and cosmopolitan city, um, and it, it was it was fantastic, absolutely yeah, fantastic. That- there was a chef, Yves Lalay. Yes. He was just the most astonishing chef mm. cook for us. But going out foraging in Estonia was different because you always do that on food problems. It slightly annoys me, you know. You'll, you'll be down kind of in Hampshire and you'll go, oh, let's go foraging, you know, and you'll come back with three unidentified leaves and it's fabulous. <laughs> you go foraging in Estonia, you come back with a sack full of food. Yeah. Mm. And you remember the the sea, sea beets or sea kale? Sea kale. Yeah. Sea kale, it was just, it was like a field. It's completely natural and wild. Do you know what, mate? But the, I was looking oh, at photographs of that about three yeah. days ago and going, oh, my God. And I took a, I took a photograph of this, uh, of, of a sunset. And, and I was really, and I thought, oh, and I actually didn't think it was my photograph because it was so good. <laughs> and it, but you couldn't fail so i checked on it you know to get the metadata from the photograph and i went oh god no i did take it it was yeah, the the light again the whole essence of travel isn't it is that is that kind of pick and mix of sensory it's just a sensory explosion so it's not just about it's about smell it's about taste it's about light it's about air it's about it's a you know, all of those things come together to make mm. a trip incredibly special. 
you know the and and if you think about it all all of us that do travel we talk about the food or we talk about the people or we talk about the sunsets we don't we never talk about the shops that we bought that in or that that's not the first thing that comes to our minds it's about mm-hmm. the environment in which we find ourselves in which is so different to the ones that we normally live in and that's yeah. what travel essentially is about that Absolutely. experience completely if the bikers baltic adventures have given you the wanderlust why not visit estonia estonia is a beautiful country known for its diverse landscape its 2222 islands thousands of kilometers of coastline and numerous lakes and forests alongside a unesco world heritage capital tallinn and no doubt the bikers were inspired by its thriving culinary scene, much of which has been influenced by the country's landscape. Many chefs take inspiration from what grows and utilise the local produce in their menus. From the beginning of July until the end of October, the forests there are overflowing with mushrooms, nuts, herbs and berries, and you'll find these in turn on menus across the country. Michelin even announced their first guide to Estonia in May this year, making it the first of the Baltics to receive this recognition and putting it firmly on the map as a foodie destination. Head to visitestonia.com to find out more and start planning an unforgettable adventure. This project is in cooperation with Visit Estonia and funded by the European Union European Regional Development Fund. So if if you were doing um, a, a Baltic trip, what would be like the one thing that you'd say you mustn't miss, you must do it while you're on while you're in one of those countries? I would I would say uh, what blew my mind and 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 I mean I think I did, Dave Dave had had more knowledge of that of that than me at the time was that I co- I couldn't believe the archipelago that was attached to uh, Finland and and Finland's mm. landmass is seventy five percent forest. Yeah, and people live within that, but the landmass itself, the seventy-five percent of it, covered in forest, and, and then so many lakes as well, aren't there? Uh, well, yeah, and, and, and you've got lakes. to have, yeah. you've got to have a sauna. You've got to do it properly, yeah. and just run out into your freezing lake. It really does make you feel fabulous, yeah. <laughs> invigorating. Oh, not half. <laughs> so, in contrast to these beautiful memories, chapter six, the penultimate chapter, is your worst travel experience. I think a diarrhea epidemic that we walked into in Diyarbakir in southern Turkey. Um, it's like on the Syrian Iran Iraq border. And this place was, oh. it was, we, we walked into a diarrhea epidemic. Jeez. And um, we, we got so sick. We, we actually had to stop wrecking. Um, I, I managed to get out to a chemist to get us something to settle us down. And I always remember this this particular me- medicine <laughs> was. It was spelt E R C I E F U R Y, which pronounced arse fury. And I thought, <laughs> you're not wrong. But I, I can remember I came back with like a, a liter, bo- two liter bottle of water and a box of arse fury. And I just looked into your room, Kingy. Oh, God. It was like oh. Gollum's lair. It was horrible. Oh, it was pretty, pretty grim. And there was three of us in a row. <laughs> that was the fixer. That was yeah. Dave and I. In this in this caravan surai, and I have to say that the guys must have that that gave us the rooms must have uh, looked at us and gone, yeah, stick those boys, those three at the end, because this is not going to end well. It was the most stunning accommodation, oh, and actually, I think when we finally got out to eat something, the restaurant looked phenomenal. Yeah. And actually, uh, I think just when we we're in recovery, we we rode up to the the border. And we spent the morning with a master kebab builder learning how to make Donna kebabs. And that was like, whoa, you know, we're pushing it a bit, really. Um. (laughs) Oh, goodness. I mean, I imagine that over the years, you guys have also had to stomach some unusual cuisines, unusual things to eat as uh, something that you kind of, that's really like, oh, makes you still feel sick thinking about it now. A few things, but we've never been the people. There's enough people on telly eating kangaroos bottoms for the sake of it. <laughs> and we never wanted to be that. We were looking for the good stuff. Occasionally, where it's been culturally appropriate, like Mapani worms in, in Namibia, yeah. we ate those. They're like a dried grub that people, it's a major source of pro- protein for poor people. They dry them out on the roof. And, the, and they're actually, they're, they're, 
they eat them as a beer snack, <laughs> but they really are pretty horrid. Mm. But isn't it interesting how different cultures, you know, favour different cuisines and things taste differently mm. to different people? I mean, like when in Iceland, you know, that stinking shark is a delicacy. Oof. Oh, yeah, we've had that in Sweden. Yeah, we? yeah, that wasn't great. Uh, I mean, it wasn't terrible, but it wasn't great. I think the worst thing no. that we've eaten, and again, by no means was it sensationalised at all. It just happened to be appropriate in terms of making a point on social history, which was in Vietnam. Dave and I sat in this restaurant and we're looking at all the other tables in Vietnam, you know, around us going, oh, look. There's crispy beef going on there. There's this going on. Oh, man, that looks amazing. And we, um, a waiter approached us who was wearing a, a, a Mexican hat and a bullet belt filled with shot glasses um, that was definitely looking like he was trying to be from Mexico, but clearly Vietnamese with a bottle of tequila. So we thought, mm, this can go either two ways, but we'll give this a go. Yeah. So we ordered our tequila, had a couple of shots, and Dave said, and there was two menus, and we looked on this other menu, and we said, oh, well, this is interesting. Dave said, um, uh, we'll have the, um, how's the deer penis? And uh, and the fellow said, oh, I'm terribly sorry. Oh, that, that, that Deer penis, incidentally, was on the menu. It was on the menu. I didn't just, I didn't just shout, <laughs> how's your deer penis, to a random waiter. <laughs> <laughs> Unlike me, with my husband, I'd have thought about it. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, and he said, oh, I'm really sorry. The, uh, the deer penis is, is, is actually off. But if you look a bit further down on the menu, the goat's penis is on, and it's, and, and it's big enough for two. So we were like, Oh, okay. well, we'll have that then. So, um, ghost penis hot pot. Yes. Oh. Hot pot. Hot pot. Not great. Certainly was. Yeah. yeah. And we're not entirely sure what the frugal broth to this day it was served in what actually was. So, it's probably best we don't. It wasn't uh, disguised, was no, it? at all. No. Yeah. Okay. So, I'm not going to be adding that to my uh, list of things that I want to try coming up. No, it's probably best. No, no. <laughs> well, guys, you've taken us all around the world and then some, and it has been so much fun chatting to you. We are on to the final chapter of your travel diaries, and that is chapter seven, the destination that is at the top of your bucket list. And as we're finishing off, I'd love to hear both of your respective answers separately. So, Dave, how about you? Top of your bucket list. Uh, Machu Picchu in Peru. I've always wanted to go there. And, um, and you know, it's interesting because the, the, the Peruvian cuisine is is getting such a lot of global attention, you know, like the fine dining side. And fine dining always comes from the street food as well. And I'd love to do that. But, you know, Machu Picchu, would that, that, that's that's my bucket list. Yeah. I really would love to go there. Amazing. And how about you, Si? I'd actually quite like to explore more of Africa. I, I was thinking about this the other day that actually... Dave and I, we've never been to Nigeria. I've never been to Senegal. I've never been mm. to Ghana. I've never been to all of the, and I just don't, I don't know what to expect. So I'm going to, I'd like to, I'd like to do that or do the Pan American Highway with Dave and just come all the way down from Prada mm. all the way through and down into Tierra del Fuego and, and Argentina, because I think that would be amazing, you know, stopping off in, in Costa Rica and Panama. And mm. I mean, it would be pretty far out that. I'd be mm. I'd be tuning in for that 100%. Yeah. <laughs> Guys, thank you so much. Those were the Harry Bikers Travel Diaries. It's been such an honor to meet you both. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, thank you, Holly. It's been an thank absolute you. pleasure. And Dave, wishing you the speediest recovery and all the very best. Cheers. I'll do my best.
What a joy it was to speak to Sai and Dave, the Hairy Bikers, and you can check out their podcast, Agony Uncles, wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks so much for listening today. If you'd like to hear more from the podcast, don't forget to hit subscribe or if you use Apple Podcasts to hit follow so that a new episode lands in your podcast app each week. And if you're really enjoying it, I'd be so grateful if you fancied leaving a quick rating or review. If you want to be the first to find out who's joining me on next week's episode, come and follow me on Instagram. I'm at Holly Rubenstein. I'd love to hear from you. And if you can't wait till then, remember there's the first seven seasons to catch up on. That's over 85 episodes to keep you busy there. Don't forget that all the destinations mentioned by my guests are always included in the episode show notes here on your podcast app. And they're also always on my website, thetraveldiariespodcast.com. Thanks so much for listening and I'll be back next week. Today's episode is supported by Airbnb. It has been a long old winter here in the UK and in between podcast seasons, I'm going to take a little bit of downtime to seek out some warmth. I'm jetting off to the Greek island of Mykonos, visiting some places that have been on my bucket list. And while I'm hopefully soaking up some Mediterranean sun, my home will be hosting guests from all all over the world thanks to Airbnb. It's the perfect way to make your travels even more rewarding. Instead of letting your home sit empty while you're off exploring new destinations, why not turn it into a cozy retreat for fellow travellers just like I do? Whether you choose to rent out your entire space or just a spare room, it's up to you. I list my spare bedroom and it's been a fantastic experience, both financially rewarding and a great way to connect with new people. So if you're planning your own summer getaway or any trip for that matter, consider putting your home on Airbnb. It's a fantastic way to earn extra income that can go towards your travel expenses, souvenirs, or even that special treat you've been eyeing. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.co.uk forward slash host. Thank you to Airbnb for supporting the Travel Diaries. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. 